Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, folks, I am super excited to tell you a bit about today's new sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, MMC hosts different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Bill Frizzell, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Julian Lodge, Mark Rabot, Wayne Krantz, O'Teal Burbridge, the Milk Carton Kids, and so many more. At an event like Alternative Guitar Summit Camp happening this August, you can expect in-depth workshops with guitar masters, once-in-a-lifetime performances, the opportunity to play alongside your favorite musicians, and a lot of fun. You'll leave this event packed full of wisdom and with a whole community of musicians to create with. This all-inclusive week in the Catskills Mountains of upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available. Spots are extremely limited. So visit www.alternativeguitarsummitcamp.com moods to learn more. Osiris. Moods and Modes is presented by Osiris Media and made possible thanks to our Patreon community. To support the podcast directly, go to patreon.com slash Alex Skolnick. From Brooklyn, New York, this is Moods and Modes. I'm your host, Alex Skolnick. I'm probably best known as a professional guitarist. I'm also a writer, a photographer, and someone who occasionally gets told to keep his opinions to himself on Twitter. This podcast will involve music and guitar, but it may take us to some unexpected places as well. So, thank you for joining me, and let's do this. Moods and Modes, episode 29. What's happening, everybody? My name is Alex Skolnack. And you may be wondering to yourself, what is that that I'm hearing? Well, you're hearing two instruments. One of them should be pretty obvious. It's known as an acoustic guitar. The other one, not so obvious. That, my friends, is the hammered dulcimer, also known as the Suntour. And it has some other names as well. You're going to find out 
all about that instrument today, as well as the person playing it, my friend Max ZT. And that is him playing Hammer Dulcimer in my living room, the first living room jam in a couple years. That was the original inspiration for this podcast was to do living room jams with musician friends. Obviously, that became impossible during the pandemic when it was not safe to be in the same room together. So the workaround for this was to come up with an alternative approach for each episode. Storytelling, paying tribute to a particular artist, and speaking to folks who weren't in the same room. So fortunately, Zoom became a thing, which made it easier. Now, unfortunately, you can't have jam sessions on Zoom. The instruments just don't synchronize. But maybe that'll change one day. Regardless, it was easy to create content, and Lemonade was made out of lemons. The result being, Moods and Modes has a wide variety. You never know what's coming next. And I like having the freedom to take it many different places. All that said, it does feel good to get back to the original concept of Moods and Modes, which is also what inspired the title, Moods referring to the mood of our conversation, Modes referring to musical modes, and originally envisioned as taking place in my living room. So again, it ended up being a silver lining that Moods and Modes can be so many things, but I really enjoyed this and hope to do more of these living room jams at some point. So let me tell you about my guest, Max ZT. First of all, if you're at all familiar with this musical instrument, you may be picturing an aging hippie who plays on the streets of Asheville, North Carolina, at the foot of the Appalachian Mountains. Or perhaps you might picture a scholarly South Asian individual born and bred in a major metropolitan region such as Mumbai or Chennai. Max ZT is neither of those things. He is from Chicago. He is in the same age range as another guest we've had, Michael League, which is a fitting name to bring up for a couple reasons. One, like Michael, Max is an exceptionally creative, high-functioning individual who is immersed in international sounds, cultures, and customs. Both have spent considerable time living outside of the United States, studying with masters of instruments from regions most in Western society might label as exotic, quote-unquote. So in this sense, it's probably safe to say that both Michael and Max defy the stereotype of what many think of when they picture the interests of an all-American male who came of age during the 1990s in the U.S. suburbs. Now, the other reason for mentioning Michael League is that Max is part of the Ground Up Music family. That's the record label slash organization started by Michael and built around his band Snarky Puppy and other projects. House of Waters has been signed to Ground Up for a number of years now and has appeared at their annual festival, and performed numerous tour dates as a support act for Snarky Puppy. So let me explain what House of Waters is. It's a very unique trio consisting of Max's hammer dulcimer, electric bass, and drum slash percussion. Now, while the drum percussion chair has changed a few times, the constant is the pair of Max and Japanese native Moto Fukushima on electric bass. That is what defines this group. Put them together and you get a very powerful and unmistakable sound. Here's a quick clip of House of Waters, a composition called Kites.
Yeah, by the way, that track has some unbelievable bass solos. So you bass players are going to want to check out Modo. He's been on the rise, too. Uh, he's playing with such artists as Mike Stern. And uh, we'll get him on the podcast at some point. Now, clearly, Max and Moto have a very special chemistry and a great sound together. However, they can also each play alone. They both do solo pieces during their live shows as well. And even just individually, the music's completely absorbing and atmospheric. Which brings us to Max's first album of solo music. So we're going to get into this when we talk, but here's a quick sample. So hypnotic. I could just listen to that all day. That track, by the way, is called In It. It is the second track off his forthcoming album called Daybreak. And by the way, the House of Waters song, Kites, is off of their album called Rising. So I'll just mention one more thing before we get to our conversation. I first met Max and Moto about eight years ago, and they were a well-kept secret. So it's been Great and no surprise to see them really uh, hitting their stride and the association with Ground Up and all. But before all that, I knew them as my core band on my international acoustic album called Planetary Coalition, one I am most proud of and managed to squeeze in in a break during my schedule. But very challenging with uh, musicians from all over the world, um, more than a couple dozen. But they were the core band, uh, House of Waters, and they were on more tracks than anybody else. That album was brought up in the episode with Rodrigo y Gabriela because they are also on that recording. We'll talk about it a little bit more. So now, without further ado, here is my conversation with Max ZT. Yeah, we made it. You're the first in a couple of years. Wow, the so, trip. Congrats. Man. Thank you. Yeah. So um, I guess the, you know the obvious question: this instrument. <laughs> What's going is, on over here? Yeah, and it's it's not a um, predictable choice. Right. right? It's not a uh, no. piano. No. Everybody, everybody a... <laughs> plays guitar or piano or. Bass, some type of drum, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Normally, upright bassists are considered to be adventurous because they have this thing to lug around. But you still see a lot of those players. So you pick one. Oh yeah. It not only has to be lugged around, but it's hardly funny, anybody though, plays it. Every time I see an upright bass player on the subway, we mm -hmm. both like instinctually, instantly like lock right. eyes. Yeah. We're like, I know your pain. Yes. I, I, <laughs> I understand. I, you. I feel you, brother or uh, sister. Yeah. Well, this instrument's the the hammer dulcimer. Um, it's uh, originally very likely a Persian instrument, um, but there's maybe about 15 different styles around the world. 
as you you know know probably a lot of in the the Indian context is called santur, also a Persian form called santur, and then the uh, uh, there's a lot in the Eastern European tradition called cymbal or cymbalom, cymbale, which is more of like in the Roma music. So that's the same instrument, the santur. It's a, it's a cousin. Some, uh, uh, it's uh, in the same way that, like you know, maybe guitar, banjo, and ukulele are the same instruments. Got it. You know, it's like um, they're, so the the construction, of course, changes. The um, the uh, tuning layout definitely changes. The technique definitely changes. Um, you know, the size, of course, uh, and the and how it's organized. This is more of a trapezoid. Some are more boxier, um, but it's really the same ideas that you have. You stretch a string out uh, over a soundboard with a bridge on it, and you hit it. And that's basically, that's it. So Hammer Dulcimer is the more American version of that. Absolutely. This is a, it's a purely American instrument that, um, that came, uh, like kind of became more well-known and more popular in the 1800s when uh, the Germans and Irish settled in Appalachia. Ah, um, okay. And so that's what became mostly an Appalachian folk instrument. But, you know, this is just oh, the American form that's like that. There's dozens of others around the world, Hawk Britain, Germany, and... Santuri in Italy. It's all over the place. Now, where um, did the Germans and Irish get it from? I mean, you could probably trace <laughs> it back. I mean, it went to probably from Hungary, could be. Uh-huh. Um, uh, you know, I, I would assume that, you know, there was a big line yeah. of, uh, of trade and conversation between Spain and India uh, and Persia, you know, along this like spice road. Um, mm-hmm. So the dulcimer and most other bits of culture went along that place, you know, and so music is obviously part of that. Well, it's very similar to the guitar in a way. Totally, right? the absolutely. Guitar comes from Spain, but you know it has these other roots. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, from West Africa, um, going up, and then also all through the Arabic world as well through oud and all these different yeah. things. And um, so it's, uh, you know, we always kind of think about these uh, stories as isolated stories, but they're really a lot more related than yeah. Than we think completely connected. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's how, like, and yeah. how many strings on that? This one has ninety three. Um, so wow. for all you guitarists out there, you best be in tune. Uh, <laughs> I, I complain when I, when I play this double neck SG, which <laughs> has, you know, cause oh, it has man. a 12 string and a six string. And a six string. Yeah. So it's, oh, oh is my, that eight, 18 strings? 18 yeah. strings. Yeah. It's like this for me. Yeah. <laughs> this type of quadrant. Yeah. Um, my smaller instrument actually has even more, has 102, uh, wow. strings. It's a little more compressed. Uh, but I really love the the bigger sounding one, um, uh, and I've been building these since uh, 2007. Been working on this one. I built this one. Um, so you build these? That's amazing. Yeah, oh, with a, a great uh, uh, dulcimer maker, uh, David ah. Lindsay, out of okay. Bennington, Oklahoma. Huh. I've been apprenticing with him since '07. Wow! And playing his instruments since I think like '96, actually. So it's been a long time. That's amazing. Just hit the uh, 30 year mark of the instrument. Really? Yeah. Wow! Wild. <laughs> Now, do you have to a lot extra sound check time because of the tuning? And totally. The setup? Um, I really think that that's. I mean, the instrument is so beautiful. It's yeah. uh, it has such a wide range that you can do with it, um, and so you'd expect it right. to be more, uh, you know, popular in, in a lot of ways. But the tuning is a very hard uh, uh, aspect of the instrument, uh, and it and it's always moving. You know, it's wood is never really done, mm-hmm. um, and it's metal and wood, so they also have uh, different, you know, ways of uh, expanding and contracting based on humidity and temperature. It's always this kind of this balance, and and it's just a tricky layout too. So like one string has two notes with a bridge dividing it. So sometimes one note will be in tune and the other won't, and you have to kind of like go this back and forth thing. That's kind of a nightmare if you're not used to it. <laughs> and you have to tune every single string, every right? single string, uh, multiple times. Uh, uh, usually, I, I I tune it before sound check and then after sound check. 
So when you came over today, you tuned it before you left the house? Correct. And then you had a bit of tuning to do. Yeah, and then I did another 93 when I got here. Um, but you know, it's something it's, I was thinking about it recently that, you know, when you're so focused on the, the, the sound on like the, the smallest minutia of differences in sound, yeah. you have to be so present and so just in, into that space. It's almost a sense of like meditation right before you get on stage, right? you know, right. to like kind of forget about everything else and just really fully devote your entire attention to the smallest of sounds. Uh, and so once you're in that headspace, I mean, it's a, that's, that's the ideal place to be for performing. Right. You so know? I'm looking at it, so there's groups of three strings. Right? Correct. Yeah, Just, for those that aren't uh, don't know what it looks like, it's a big trapezoid with two uh, with a soundboard over it, about a, these 93 strings uh, going across. There's groupings of three strings for each note. Ideally, they're all the same. Yeah, so that's like on a 12-string guitar, you have two strings. Correct. That are either the same or an octave apart. So the this is kind of like an 18-string guitar if it was like triple-stringed, Yeah. right? So three um, strings. Three strings, same note. But and they're that, all the same pitch? They're all unison? All the unison pitch to give okay. you um, uh, volume uh-huh. uh, and then tuning stability as well. So and when I'm striking it, instead of having two strings absorb the, you know, the, the strike, uh-huh. it's now three strings, uh, which then, you know, uh, can help dissipate that um, quite well and keep the, keep the stability uh, intact. And what is the device you use in which to strike? These, uh, these, the, the hammer. These hammers. Hence, uh, hammer dulcimer. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it's double-sided, so I can have two different sounds. Uh, one, for example, would sound like... Uh, very bright, very punchy. Uh. It gets pretty loud. For sure, you know. Um, but then I have a felted sound. Um, and actually, this all came about from, I think I was around 12 or 13. I saw a, um, a piano uh, that had been thrown out uh, in the alley behind my house in Chicago. Oh, wow. And I ripped out all the uh, the keys and uh, cut off the felts and then glued them to my dulcimer sticks. I think I was 12 or 13 when I did that. How did you think to do that? Well, this is basically, uh, essentially it's a piano, like a manual deconstructed yeah. piano. And this is the predecessor to the piano. They basically mechanized this, you know? Uh, so I knew that and I was like, oh, that's, I looked so at the So you looked soundboard. at the inside of the piano. It's like, that looks like, like oh, a dulcimer. It's the same thing. Yeah. Let me, oh, that's an interesting, what's that felted stuff? Let me tear out all this stuff and then glue it to it. Um, and now I have a, a company I work with that that I uh, that will give me these felts. And that sound is is much more lush. Um, and it, depending on how you play it, you can even sometimes don't even hear the strikes. You can just get this washy sound. But I'll give you the same idea of just okay. strikes. Like way, way softer. Mm-hmm. But then you can even go like even a little bit more ambiguous with the sound where it has this like. You don't really hear each note. It just kind of becomes this like washy, you know, uh, drone, uh, which is something that I'm really getting more and more into as I get more into like ambient music and that type of stuff. Yeah, it seems very atmospheric. Totally. And, uh, you don't need effects, right? Yeah. Every time I, I go into a place and like, do you want to add reverb to that? I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> I have plenty of reverb. Yeah. And uh, we did our little acoustic jam just now. And I, when I first plugged my guitar into the mic, I just thought, wow, I feel so dry. <laughs> you know, I just, Normally you'd be fine. But, yeah. But having but this. You have, yours just sounds so yeah, atmospheric. It's, it's, just, it's beautiful. It's all 
naturally there. And a lot of what that happens also is the uh, the construction um, design. Uh, it's is a very thing unique to David, um, uh-huh. where he has the thing what's called a floating soundboard. So the soundboard okay. is not actually glued down at all, and it can be taken off. It's a nightmare. I've done it. It's terrible. Oh wow! <laughs> but it can be done. And please excuse this first brief interruption, which is more of an interlude because I'm going to play you a little bit of the improvisational jam that we were just discussing. It went on for quite a while. I can't play the whole thing, but here's a quick sample, about a minute or so, and then we'll get back to our chat. Um, so these, as you can see, there's this big gap here yeah. on the bottom and at the top as well. And it's kind of wedged into this little notch that we notch out for it. So if I took off all the strings, I could kind of take it out. Um, and that's what's called a floating soundboard, which gives it this ability to kind of really move. forever you know yeah i'm not even yeah. playing hard if i play harder it goes even it gets it lasts even longer but it's still it's still going it's still going oh yeah it's like that scene in spinal time <laughs> 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 yeah. you exactly. could hear it if, it if it were playing but we hear it it's still i mean i just touch the strings they're still vibrating it's still resonating mm-hmm. yeah so that's actually uh, you know a difficulty with the instrument uh-huh. is its resonance so if i'm doing chromatic stuff you know that is a challenge that uh-huh. i have to bring into the into the mix well, that seems like something it has in common with the guitar, because when you look for guitars, you want one that's going to resonate. Even mm-hmm. a great electric guitar mm-hmm. is going to have that mm-hmm. same kind of resonance when you totally. don't plug it in. 
And what's what's what I what what's good about the guitar, which is a great asset, is that you're able to still mute. Right. Um, so if you even do chromaticism, which might have you know some dissonance when you're doing uh, with, with the resonance, you can really mute that and be able to go quickly from one note to another without having too much sustain. Where this one, you can do mutes, but even when you're doing huh. mutes, oh wow, it's still yeah, <laughs> it's still there, it's still there. But you you want that. Then. Yeah, I mean that's yeah that's part of the character. Of totally. Song. When I was in college, I remember like trying to like convince, basically convince myself that this was like any other instrument mm-hmm. and this shouldn't be thought of as a novelty instrument. This is just like any other thing. And the truth is, no, it's not like any other mm. thing. And that's actually its asset. You know, um, you don't want this to sound like a piano or a guitar. Mm. You don't want the guitar to sound right. like a dulcimer. Sure. They're beautiful as separate. Uh, and that's the, you know, something when you can combine these different elements, that's what's really beautiful. So you have to really be careful about, you know, tradition and, uh, and progress and that balance of being like, this is like everything else. I can do all this crazy stuff, but yes. actually the assets are what's so beautiful. Yeah. And I guess another thing it has in common with the guitar is I see these sound holes that mm-hmm. remind me of acoustic guitar. How many are there? I see two. There's or? two here. But yeah. again, you know, on the top and bottom, um, it's like a non-traditional, it's like a sound slot. Right. So it'd be kind of like if you traced uh, the shape of the guitar mm-hmm. and put a uh, a gap between the edge of the instrument uh, and the soundboard mm-hmm. by like, let's say, you know, a centimeter, mm-hmm. which actually I'd be very curious to see what that would sound like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Have a whole, like the edge <laughs> of the entire guitar uh, open. Yeah, yeah. That'd be pretty that cool. That would be really cool. It'd and be I- pretty resonant. <laughs> and this is how you tune it, right? So I'm looking on the side. You totally, have, on both sides, yeah. Yeah, we have those on both sides, yeah. So they're not like guitar or bass tuning pegs. You have one thing that you- Have attend. to go to each one. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, I've tried to uh, uh, actually attach uh, guitar lugs, um, when we were building these guitar lugs to each of these strings, uh-huh. um, so that I can do in like a, you know, a full rotation right. and have it only go up a little bit, right? It's mm. geared, what's called geared tuning. Mm-hmm. So like your guitar lug goes into a gear right. so that it you know dissipates your uh, your movement uh-huh. over a larger period or larger uh, space. But if I do that here, there's so much pressure that they've cracked every single time. Yeah. Um, so this is, a, unfortunately, it's a one-to-one. It's non-geared tuning, uh-huh. uh, which means I'll just do a short little Oh, yeah, demo. demonstration. But like, cool. let's say on this one right here, you know, if I'm doing this note, this is a C sharp. Yeah. You can see those that are watching or you can describe it. Uh, I moved it barely at all. I'm not even sure you saw me move it. And it's that different. Yeah. So that's like- I see you move to the left. Just just slightly, and it's a whole half step. Yeah, so it's very sensitive. You know, what's that? So a whole step was basically maybe an inch. Uh Uh-huh. So you always keep the adjacent strings in the same pitch. Yeah. But is there a standard tuning for the rest of Yes. Um, and are there alternate tunings? There are definitely alternate tunings, especially uh-huh. on the culture that you're, uh, you know, uh, talking about. Uh-huh. The dulcimer, there is a, a mostly standard tuning um, that uh, I've modified uh, maybe one, two, three, four, five, five or six notes. Mm-hmm. Um but mostly it's uh, it's a standard tuning, which is whole step, whole step, half step. Mm-hmm. 
repeating whole step, whole step, half step. Oh, interesting. Whole step, whole step, half step. Okay. Whole, whole, half. Then you do the exact same pattern a fifth over uh-huh. and exact same pattern a fifth over again. Oh, okay. So wow. that would give you D, if I'm going vertical, sure. D, whole uh-huh. step, E, whole step, F sharp, yep. half step, G. Okay. That's like. There you go. Do, 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 do. Right. And then it repeats. So oh, what, then it's minor. Well, yeah, and now, now we're in minor. So it's if it's whole step, whole step, half step, now you have this, like, you know, that little pattern from yeah. four, and then you repeat that again, whole, whole, half okay. from G now, and then whole, whole, half from a fourth above G, which is oh, C, wow. and whole, half a fourth, a fourth above uh, C, which is F. So now you have these, all of that, and then everything over a fifth. <laughs> wow. And then, then one more time, everything over another fifth. So you have this. D. How do you keep track of all that? I mean, you know, I, mean I can't. Same thing with with guitar. You know, it's I can't keep track of any of that stuff. It's just practice. Yeah, yeah. And I, I experiment with altered alternate tuning sometimes. Yeah, and, and even that just, is tricky. That's tricky. That's yeah. tricky on six strings. Uh, what it does though is it gives you this. You know, so much. Um, so many different duplicate notes actually, yeah. and different areas, and so it kind of helps inform how you write. So, for example, if I'm thinking about a D, I have a D right here, uh-huh. and I also have a D right here, exact same note. Oh, okay. But this D is closer to my F sharp, yep. whereas this D is closer to my F. So if I'm in my D minor yeah. song, I'm going to think about things over here, Okay. which means I'm going to think about my seventh as that. Okay. Whereas if I'm over here, I'm going to think about my seventh as... Mm. So it's like it helps really inform, you know. But same yeah. with guitar, same with any instrument. The notes that are around it that like are nearby or that remind you of something, uh, you know, that'll that'll help you inform how to write and then how to you know improvise, of course. Yeah, I got to admire the ambition for <laughs> taking this up and yeah, getting, <laughs> you know, getting so knowledgeable on. Yeah, it's uh, it's been you know thirty years now, so yeah. it's um, I don't know why really. I don't know why. I was probably just like a weird little kid. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know, how old were you when you started? Uh, about seven. Uh, and you're in Chicago. You grew up in Chicago. So yeah. Did you see somebody on the street playing, or was I that saw a- originally uh, actually when I was two, um, and I, I, as a two year old, I ran up to this dulcimer and just sat underneath it. Um, oh, wow. Normally, the dulcimers um, are on a big stand, so I'm standing yeah. right now. Sure. And uh, and th- I just sat underneath it as a two year old for like an hour. <laughs> and just like stoked about the sound I was getting. Oh, wow. Um, I only found that out later. My parents told me much later. Uh, that's, then, a, that's a hell of a story. Yeah, <laughs> I must have like, you know, known. A seed was planted. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, when I was around six or seven, I saw it um, at a folk festival outside uh-huh. of Chicago and um, asked my parents to play. And then that was that. You know, it took me a little while to convince them that I was serious because, you know, why would you give a seven-year-old a dulcimer? Yeah, it's not <laughs> violin lessons, or, right? Yeah, um, and then uh, they they were eventually relented, and they're um, yeah. they're big music enthusiasts as well. And oh, that's good. And yeah. So they were very supportive. They're artists, they're filmmakers, and photographers. Oh, okay. And so, oh, very cool. So they're yeah. creative. So they just they just wanted you to be serious about it. That, yeah, that was their deal, which totally. is understandable. Yeah, that's it's a like, big thing to get into. If yeah, you're not going to just like casually play this instrument yeah. like at a seven-year-old, you know. Um, it's not going to. Yeah, we don't want to get you one of these. It's going to sit around under the bed or in the basement for like you know the rest yeah. of its life. It's not going to be like your etch a sketch. You know? Exactly. <laughs> uh, it is funny though because it's like I hear stories of you know people's parents saying, "Oh, you know, you got to go to engineering school or law school. You know, you right. can just use music as a hobby." Like, and they'd get mad if you know they would support if they yeah. would go in the artistic route. Whereas yeah. my folks would probably be mad if I. 
uh, didn't do uh-huh. art uh, or uh, some element of art, you know, um, as my as my job. Yeah. Very lucky in that way. I had the exact opposite. Extreme <laughs> oh, yeah. academic parents. Yeah. They're like, oh, some guitar player, huh? Yeah, yeah. All right. So we're about a half hour in. This is normally where we take a quick break, do any housekeeping and that type of thing. I hope everybody's enjoying this chat with Max ZT. And maybe you're learning a thing or two. I know I am. I did not know a lot of the details about this instrument, the hammered dulcimer. I hope you're enjoying the music as well. And I may have mentioned this earlier, but we did two extended improvisational jams, one of which kicked off the show. The other is playing in the background now. And I'm sorry we can't play more of them because of time. However, if you're enjoying the music and would like to listen to it as tracks separate from the podcast, you are welcome to do so because uh, we're going to be making these available for our Patreon subscribers. So yet another benefit of joining us on Patreon, you not only support our podcast directly, but you get access to these tracks and a lot of other exclusive content that's pretty cool, if I may say so. There are a lot of videos I've done that get unlocked when you join as well. Now, speaking of video, I should mention that we are planning some video content for this podcast. As most of you know, Moods and Modes is an audio experience, so it's not a simple matter of just filming a conversation. But we'll figure it out as we go. And in case you're wondering, we do have some video footage of this episode shot on my latest gadget, courtesy of our friends at Zoom Audio. And I imagine we'll be linking to that on the episode pages. And just a few words about live music. New York's esteemed venue, The Iridium, has finally reopened after many attempts. We had a wonderful night there. Alex Skolnick Trio performed, and it was a packed house. Many friends in attendance, including a table full of podcast folks representing Osiris Media, our producer Kirsten Cluthy and Brad Stratton. Thanks for coming down, guys. And fellow podcaster and singer Maggie Rose, who was in town from Nashville to perform at the Love Rocks Benefit at the Beacon with such luminaries as Keith Richards and Melissa Etheridge. I look forward to having Maggie on this podcast when schedules align. And speaking of schedules, I'm about to go on tour from April until May back to the metal world. I'm really excited to get out there, play with our new drummer, Dave Lombardo. How cool is that? And I'm just looking forward to traveling again, seeing the country. It's been too long. Dates are available online. If you just look up Bay Strikes Back Tour or go to the Testament Instagram page at Testament Official. And finally, a quick acknowledgement that we have lost an incredible musician and presence in the music industry, Foo Fighters' Taylor Hawkins, as I speak. It's only been a few days but the news is still sinking in. I did not know Taylor. I just uh, admired him from afar. By all accounts, from those who knew him, and we have many mutual friends, uh, a beautiful person, and uh, that smile was real. And what a drummer. We've been in this era where heavy rock has sort of been phased out by the mainstream, and Foo Fighters are this exception, filling stadiums all over the world, and Taylor commanding attention despite being back behind a kit most of the time when he wasn't uh, singing and he was a great singer too 
and uh, backing somebody who's one of the most charismatic people in rock and roll and best known as a drummer. I have met Dave Grohl. We had a really nice hang with Getty Lee and Simon Phillips. That's a story for another day. And it wasn't that long ago. But for all his meteoric success, it's now clouded by the loss of two close friends from each of his historic bands. So thinking of Dave Grohl as well, rest in peace, Taylor Hawkins. Even when we were playing, you know, today, there was like some accidental note, right? I accidentally mm-hmm. hit, we were in this like Lydian thing, right? We were, and then I accidentally hit a, a, a note that was outside of that. Uh, and it's like, oh boy. Yeah. But then it was, okay, let's explore that opportunity. Yeah. Now that we've accidentally hit this thing, you know, let's maybe go and see what else exists in that area. Yeah. That's done a lot. I think once you develop your ears, you mm-hmm. can hear what musicians were going for mm. and hear that, okay, that note is not what they were going for. But, but, but how do you pivot? You know, like, how yeah. do you like get to that space where it's like, oh, I made this mistake, but what do I do with that mistake now? I think a famous example of that is um, in The Doors. Okay. Light My Fire. Yeah. That, the very long solo section. Totally. The guitar solo in particular. He does this one line. <laughs> <laughs> and you can tell it's He's like, oops, it's a mistake, and he just milks it. Yeah, it goes with, and it's great. There's, I think, a Miles Davis quote about like something like that, where he's like, "There's no wrong notes, right? It's only what you do after that determines whether it's wrong or not." Yeah, and now at this point, you know, having a lot of experience in the studio mm-hmm. and with trained ears, I I hear that all the time, and it's teaching me to be a little less self critical because i've heard things by some favorite players and i just when i listen with the same self-critical ear that i i I hear it like oh i would consider that totally wrong but because it's not me right i think it sounds great (laughs) you know judgment is such a uh roadblock you know to curiosity and creativity um and it's you know it's really not uh doesn't do you any doesn't do you any services, you know, really. Yeah. Uh, especially in, in improvisation. Like, obviously, you have to have a certain level of, uh, I like to call it, like, fluency. You have to have a certain level where you can, you know, speak yes. naturally with your with your music. And so I'm not saying there's no such thing as, like, wrong mm. notes. But, like, if you have that level of fluency, then no, there's probably not. And to judge it, to yeah. be like that, to put that self-critical or, or you know, uh, uh, onto somebody else as well, doesn't do. It doesn't do you any favors, you know, Um I have yet to find like a val- like any value in that. Um, it was really it's uh, it's the probably the hardest part about uh, at this point now uh, yeah. with improvisation and music is to be like get out of your head and just like try try to be as much as you can. Yes. get your fluency, but just be be present. Yeah, just, you know what are you doing this for? So on the subject of improvisation, let's make sure we discuss yeah. your new album, which totally applies to absolutely what you're talking about. So your new disc is called Daybreak. Yeah. And it's entirely improvised, right? It's um, fully improvised. I took my favorite session out of um, probably maybe fifteen to thirty. I can't exactly remember. I did about you know two to three hours a day, you know, for let's say ten to twelve days, and then took my wow. favorite hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course I had to like kind of chop it up. 
and you know make it so Spotify friendly or whatever. Uh, sure. <laughs> you know, seven minute songs, but give it, was it meant tracks. To, yeah. Exactly, give it tracks. But it was meant to be um, uh, listened to, and it was it was performed as one uh, contiguous take, um, and it was really just trying to get uh, fully open. Um, I, I started this actually. It was almost like a project, really. Um, during COVID, uh, we had a lot of people. My wife's from India. And pardon the interruption. I just need to let you know that Max's wife is Priya Darshini. She's a wonderful vocalist, and they've done a lot of music together, including a 2020 recording that includes my friend Dave Egger, a virtuoso cellist. We'll get him on the podcast at some point, who I've known for years. The music world can be so small. Anyway, the album is called Periphery. It came out in 2020. And it was recorded informally, all live playing, no tracking. And I think the plan was to follow it up with a more produced recording. Yet, to everybody's pleasant surprise, it got nominated for a Grammy in 2021. How cool is that? So here's a little bit of a song called Home, Priya Darshini with Max and the band, including my friend Dave Egger. Obviously, there's a lot that happened here, but India got hit pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, and we, I just started realizing that there's there's something worse than than sickness and this and sorrow mm-hmm. uh, and and death, really. But the thing that's worse is sickness, sorrow, and death when you're alone. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. so much worse. Like this stuff happens constantly. Yep. You know, there's disease, there's malnutrition, there's uh, uh, there's war, as mm-hmm. we're seeing now. This is a pretty standard human experience but what is unique to this as far as i can tell at least in my lifetime that's for sure is Uh is the isolation that follows um and so i wanted to be there as best i could you know and and my biggest asset that i could bring to the table would be my music Mm -hmm. so i started sending like you know improvisations after um some record i'd have a recording session and i'd be like hey keep it rolling and i just recorded you know 10 8 to 15 minutes uh, and I would just send it to, I probably sent it to, you know, 20, 30 people that mm-hmm. were, that uh, I knew that were suffering. Um, either they were themselves sick you know, mm-hmm. or and passing away or, oh, wow. uh, or their family members were, or their friends were, or they were just struggling being isolated where they were themselves. And uh, I, I, I just saw the, 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 va- the value of what this brought to the table. And unlike other times when I've like, played a funeral or played a wedding or in, in, in some sort of service, you know, uh-huh. aspect of music. Um, this time I was really trying to be like imagining a family member at a, at let's say a deathbed mm. of their loved one. If I'm, and I, and then the music playing during that time. Yeah. Yeah. If the, if the music was playing during that time, I had to make it so that it would not distract them from their last moments with their loved one. Wow. You know, that's like, very heavy. 
Yeah. It's, it was so hard to to be to play something that was basically to, to complement them doing their own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like normally when you're like, oh, I'm gonna make some healing music, you're like, I'm gonna make it all about this music and everyone right. come into the music right. and, and forget about everything and just be here. Like, okay, that is an approach, but this was kind of a I don't want you to even notice me. Uh-huh. Like if you went to mm-hmm. a, if you went into hospice and there was somebody who was passing away and you're in the room playing guitar uh-huh. and you're like doing some lick. Right. <laughs> you feel like an idiot. Yeah. You know? I'm not, uh, it's not like I'm giving a clinic at Guitar Center. Exactly. Yeah, trying to. Uh, and even if you weren't doing something kind of showy, you would still have to be like, how do I make this so that they don't even notice me and I can just make them look inward. Yeah. Themselves. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, that was the, that was that the was goal, the goal yeah. here. So wow. I've never done this before. I've never been, I've never used space um, mm. so much. And, I, I, and then listening back, it's like, damn. Sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. like this. I, I want to do this more. Um, I think art. I mean, as we we're seeing, you know, it's so it's so essential, and it's it's become such a healer for so many people. This is this is a service industry. Um, we have to, you yeah. know, we have a we have a duty to 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 our you know communities. Yeah, it's a great purpose mm-hmm. behind it, and the music's very yeah. It feels very um, soothing. Mm-hmm. And healing, and um, you know, even if you're a healthy person, I think you'll well, we benefit all, from listening to, to this music. We all need this, you know. We've jumped right back into like you know business as usual, um, and it's like I'm not sure we know the extent of like oh yeah what this did to us. There's a lot of denial happening. I think totally. Let's forget it. I'm gonna do my Facebook post and I'm gonna yeah. set up that tour again, and everything's fine. Oh, it got canceled. It's not a big deal. It's not because there's yeah. something like huge happening. It's just because it got canceled. And it's like, no, no, actually, this is like, <laughs> yeah, so no, much the world trauma. has changed. People have, have changed. It, yeah, it reminds me a little bit after um, 9/11, which was mm-hmm. shortly after I, I moved to New York. I sort of a sense of denial. Yeah, right? I thought we kind of bounced back a little too fast. I don't think we quite realized the scope. It happens all the time. And I think that's the same thing that, that's happening now. I remember I spent a lot of time in, in Mumbai and there was a decent amount of uh, you know, terrorist attacks that have happened in Mumbai. And like a major like, like, you know, piece of pride for a lot of the city in a lot of ways is like when something like that would happen, they're like, we're back and we're, we're still at work at 8 a.m. tomorrow. They can't beat us. Mm. And it's like, okay, that's like, that's beautiful in a lot of ways. I understand where it's coming from, but like, did you give yourself the time to understand why this is happening right? Uh, and how you feel about it yeah. and to grieve the people that, you know, were impacted by it. Um, and it, I, I don't, I'm not sure that you have, it should be one extreme or the other. It's not like you have to like live in this, you know, in this grief forever. You do need to kind of recognize, you know, the truth as it's happening. with a great pundit, Shiv Kumar Sharma. Um, he's the- He's like the guru of this instrument. Guru of, of gurus. Yeah. Um, he's the the pioneer of this instrument. Um, before uh, before Shivji, before Guruji, he, um, he, this instrument was mostly considered like a, like a folk instrument, like a Kashmiri folk instrument mm-hmm. and not something for classical music. Um, and then he's now made it, you know, this was in the 50s, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now since then, he's made it a- um, a, a mainstay 
of cool, the classical cool. scene. You know, if you think about Indian classical music, he's he's up there. He's the guy. He's the yeah. guy um, for this, definitely for this instrument, and even in the in the field in general. Uh, the the analogy I like to make is if like Bella Fleck, the great banjo player, uh-huh. uh, obviously a massive pioneer of the instrument, um, but if like every Western Classical orchestra now has banjo. Right. That's right. like kind of the impact that Shivji has had on uh, Indian classical music. Oh, wow. Which is like, okay. wow. Not only was this not just a folky instrument from the mountains, this is actually now like a, a defining uh, characteristic of uh, Indian classical music. So yeah. studying with him was uh, life-changing. It's me again. I'm just jumping in to shine a little bit of light on this part of the conversation. The great musician that Max is speaking about and with whom he had the privilege to study is the one and only Pandit Shivkumar Sharma. I realize the name may be hard to understand when it's spoken fast in conversation. So the first word is Pandit. It's like Pandit, but with an A, Pandit. And it's a title, not a name. It's a lot like maestro in the English language. And that's followed by Shivkumar which begins S-H-I-V, like Shiv, the character on HBO's Succession, and Kumar, like Harold and Kumar, for anybody familiar with the stoner film from the aughts. So it's one word, Shiv Kumar, followed by Sharma, which is exactly as it sounds. By the way, Santur, the instrument, is spelled S-A-N-T-O-O-R, and the other name that Max mentioned, a preeminent player of this instrument, was Pandit Bajan Sopuri, B-H-A-J-A-N-S-O-P-O-R-I. These will be on our episode playlist to make it easier. And here's a quick sample of Pandit Shivkumar Sharma. Music is obviously very uh, uh, developed harmonically and rhythmically, but it's really the, the, philosoph- the philosophical aspect is what um, I've found to be the hardest part. You have harmonic structures called ragas, you have rhythmic structures yeah. called tala, um, but really because it's an improvised you know, form of music based around a single structure generally, uh, it's really not about the notes anymore. You know, Obviously you have to have fluency, you have to know the the where the notes go in their orders and what notes you should avoid and what notes you know highlight the characteristic of the raga uh but in the end the raga changes every time the notes change every time yeah when you started it was were you thinking of it more as sort of an appalachian folky instrument or were you aware of the indian connection right away it took a few years to- i only found out about that until actually like you know we didn't have the internet right so like yeah Pre-internet. Pre-internet. I was, I was, I've been playing since 90, oh, 92. Okay. You know, so that was well before internet was pretty common. Yeah. Or at least as it developed was, as it, it is now. It was burgeoning totally. at that time, but it wasn't, yeah. It wasn't like, like it is now, of course. Um, yeah. So I was playing folk and Celtic music. Um, I then got exposed to music from Senegal uh-huh. um, and moved out there, uh, spent m- many trips back and forth um, studying Senegalese music, um, mostly based around the Kora. Um, yeah, the chorus with that gourd of the pole that comes out. You know, you pluck it with these fingers. Um, I love the chorus, and we've done stuff with uh, with Yakuba. Right? Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, what you just heard is the Kora, wonderful African instrument made from a gourd. And that's Yakuba Sissoko. That's who Max mentioned. We both worked with him on the Planetary Coalition album. He's on a couple different tracks, including this one with both of us. And so I was studying with the Sissoko family, uh, uh, not his exact family, but um, his uh, uh, his cousins, I guess, um, oh, in, wow. in Dakar. Wow. Um, and so, that changed everything. Really. Hmm. So they have this instrument as well, or? No. Uh, you were just studying this in relation to the, the Kora. Totally. And trying okay. to translate uh, Kora techniques and Kora, uh, oh, okay. uh, you know, division of, uh, you know, bass lines and harmony and melody and improvisation separately. Ah, um, so that I could okay. think about this less as a single line instrument, but more as an orchestral sound. Yeah. Which is why it sounds so big, even if it's just one. Yeah. Um, I could probably play a sample of something like that. Would you like that? Sure. Some yeah. Senegalese-inspired stuff. Yeah. Um, this is a piece that Absolutely. I play also with my group, House of Waters. Yeah. Um, but it gives, could give you an idea. Beautiful, yeah. <laughs> so it's a similar idea, right? You had all this stuff going on, and bass lines happening, melodies happening, sub melodies happening. Um, yeah, I feel like I was, I was traveling. Totally. To that. Yeah, I could picture being being overseas in mm-hmm. Africa. So that really changed everything. Yeah. I mean, up to that point, I was doing you know single line Irish music um, with wow. minimal harmony. Um, oh, now wow. all of a sudden, it's like this huge orchestral world opened yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, changed my entire technique. Um, and then India was more of the philosophical aspect. Obviously, there's technical aspects too with the odd meter stuff. But yeah, um, now was House of Waters formed for specifically for this type of playing? Yeah, uh, that's the group um, that I've uh, uh, started long ago with Moto Fukushima. Moto Fukushima. Great. Oh yeah, incredible bass player. Absolutely like, nuts. Un- unlike anybody really. <laughs> for real. Yeah, um, I'm really happy that he's getting actually a decent amount of notoriety now. And um, yeah, finally. Catching on that, like this guy's no joke, uh, yeah. and he's honestly. I mean, I've been playing with him for 15 years. Uh-huh. Uh, the last, the last, like I don't know, 
five to seven has been like, whoa. Yeah. Uh, like really. Yeah, uh, just hitting his stride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just getting, I, I don't see any end in sight. This guy's yeah. really going. Um, and so this group is basically this kind of, uh, you know, we've been writing the music for forever. So uh, we have a rotating cast of, uh, of, uh, of people that we play with, but um, playing with Moto has been really a, uh, yeah, incredible learning experience. A different type of education mm-hmm. with jazz and uh, South American music, and really yeah, you guys have a joke. real sound together. Mm-hmm. It's very unique. And he's playing six string, right? So uh-huh. uh, six string bass, and so having the very little uh, aspects of overlap is really nice. I'm in this kind of mid to high. He's low to mid. Yeah. So there's a small area of, of overlap where I can be comping and he can be play, play, uh, playing melody, or vice versa. Um, and that's really uh, that's a really fun aspect uh, that I'm now learning, you know, uh, about the instrument, yeah. how to how to play in a complementary role and not always be, um, you know, uh, outside of the ambient sphere, but n- even in a more kind of jazzier context, how to play where you're not the lead. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That's super hard. Yeah. But uh, what a skill set, if you can get it. <laughs> yeah, and it's been great to see what's happened with you guys, too. Yeah, it's, it's been uh, a trip. Nick, our engineer, he had introduced me to Luke, who was yeah. playing... With you guys at the time. Totally. Uh, and insane he, cajon player. Uh, yeah, and he, he basically told me about Luke, but he said, oh, and Luke, you know, Luke plays in this project with these, these guys, and this guy plays the hammer dulcimer. You got to meet this guy, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually was just talking to Nick because uh, we're recording another uh, House of Waters record, and we were hoping to make it work, but the timing wasn't working out um, oh, okay. at Spin. But I was oh, just talking to him, like, I don't know, a week or yeah. two ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was a lot of fun doing that record. Man. Oh man, you got you do guys one. were the core of of the record. Yeah, basically. like a yeah. backing band. Not yeah. a lot of backing bands with dulcimer that you yeah. see around. <laughs> yeah, because so, it worked on like every style Everything. of music. Yeah, a couple of them I just did, did as duets. I did one with sure. a duet with um, Yakuba, mm-hmm. and and uh, there was uh, the Chinese uh, people yeah, player, player, right? Neon. Yeah. But the majority of that record, yeah, it's it's you guys. So it was so cool to see you guys sort of reach this next level with ground up records, yeah, and then supporting Michael and Snarky. And Snarky. Yeah, yeah, that's and, been. Uh, I know that he was on here as well, and you guys did a great episode. That was fun. Uh, some couple months back. Yeah, um, incredibly knowledgeable as well, like an encyclopedia in that way. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. like he knows like everything, everything. about every style <laughs> of music. And what's great, and I'm really what I really admire a lot about it is um, uh, is his ability to really kind of think big picture and outside of just like his project. Mm-hmm. Um, so he made this label and made a festival, made all these things where he really has this kind of rising tide mentality, where like the more uh, successful I am, then the more that you know uh, makes his project successful, which makes other projects successful. It's just like yeah. really this kind of community driven. Uh, uh, you know, from the ground up type of uh, yeah, perfectly energy. said. Yeah, such a wide variety of musicians and genres, and absolutely you know, everybody from you know David Crosby, who's doing like the best stuff he's done in years, years with Michael. To, totally, uh, Charlie Hunter, who's a friend from the Bay Area. Charlie Hunter, and you'll have yeah. Becca Stevens. Yeah. You'll have uh, Banda Magda. You have uh, Fork. You have ourselves. Yeah. Michelle yeah, I had Willis. The Fork guys on the podcast too. That yeah, I saw that was uh, not even that long ago. Yeah. yeah. Michelle Willis is on there. Yeah. Um, oh, she's amazing. God, there's so many people that are, uh, you know, that are there. And then, of course, like the extended family. So, like, you know, Bob Lanzetti's project or Zach yeah. Brock or 
uh, all these different people that are through the area. Yeah. And I remember you guys were doing a bunch of the snarky shows before everything mm -hmm. stopped for everybody. Right before, actually. Yeah. I think we did a September tour with them uh, of 2019. And then I went to India. Uh -huh. uh, came back, built another dulcimer. And wow. that was like March 2nd when I got back to New York. Uh -huh. And then, you know, March 20th or whatever, it was done. Nice. <laughs> Unbelievable. What Unbelievable. a time. What a time to be alive. <laughs> totally unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but we got a new record with uh, with uh, uh, with House of Waters that we're working on. Actually going into the studio tomorrow. Awesome. Um, wow. so, and then we'll have another full length in the fall as well. And so um been working a lot. I'm really, really cool. grateful for this kind of creative time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should uh, play some more music. Let's do it. But man, thank you so much for coming by, Max. This it's a pleasure great having you. So I'm so happy that we could, uh, uh, you know, reconnect and kind of still be working in this type of way and connecting musically like this. It's what a dream. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. We'll we will play again soon. I am the other. counting on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. All right, awesome. And there we have it. I want to thank my friend Max CT for coming over. How great was it not only to have jam sessions, but just to do a podcast episode in person. What a concept. May that happen again sometime soon. I hope you've enjoyed getting to know Max. Talent, humor, depth, checks a lot of boxes, huh? And if you're hearing this before April 7th, come to Joe's Pub, where Max will be doing his album launch performance. Joe's Pub, of course, is in Manhattan. It's a legendary spot near Astor Place, not hard to find. And Max will be performing in celebration of his upcoming release, Daybreak. Moods and Modes is presented by Osiris Media, hosted and produced by yours truly, Alex Skolnick. Production for Osiris by Kirsten Cluthy and Brad Stratton. Final edits and mixes by Justin Thomas of Revoice Media. Most of the music that you heard in this episode was me and Max live in my living room, interspersed with various recordings that Max has been a part of, and opening music by yours truly, closing music by yours truly, with Nathan Peck on the bass and Matt Sprosky on the drums. I want to thank our whole podcast team who helps this happen, our sponsors, and most of all, you, the listeners. We are nothing without you and your ears. And of course, extra, extra special thanks to members of our Patreon community, which you can join by going to patreon.com 
slash Alex Skolnick. Oh, and smash that subscribe button if you haven't already. That's it for this time. See you on the next episode. Take care and be safe. Osiris. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about the April-May 2023 issue of Relics Magazine. It features a Dave Matthews Band cover story with additional articles and interviews with The National, Graham Nash, Wayne Shorter, ALO, Ivan Neville, our friend Eric Krasno and Stanton Moore, Marty Stewart, and much more. Check out the latest version of Relics and subscribe now at relics.com slash DMB. Thanks, Relics. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.